Hello, my name is John Campion and I'm the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner. Uh, a very warm welcome to our latest podcast. I'm joined today uh, by a very special, uh, very special guest and uh, I'll ask uh, Nick uh, to introduce himself and uh, a little bit about why he's joining me today. Thank you, John. Um, my, my name is Nick Gazard. I am the founder of the Holly Gazard Trust, but more importantly, I'm Holly's dad, Holly Gazard. Um, and Holly, unfortunately, was murdered a number of years ago after undergoing a serious amount of domestic abuse, coercive control, and stalking. And those are the things that I like to talk about now to try and educate people. And that's the reason why I started the Holly Gazard Trust. A, um, a, a horrific, um, unimaginable circumstance that you turned into quite an amazing uh, legacy. I'm lucky enough to know a bit about um, the work of the Trust and we'll include some of the links um, uh, uh, below. So I'm... What I'm interested in, I suppose, to start with is the is is what do you aim to what, what what do you aim to do? What's the what's the driver as you see the uh, the aspirations for the uh, the legacy that you've turned that horrific, horrible, unimaginable um, uh, uh, outcome through to what you're now trying to turn into the positive legacy? What what is it you're hoping to hoping to achieve, and why is it so important to the memory of a of a very special person? Well, well Holly, Holly was only 20 years of age when she was murdered. And at that stage, it came as a complete shock to all of us. You know, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't pick up on any of the warning signs, any of the stalking, any of the stalking behaviours that the, the perpetrator was, was exhibiting. And following Holly's death, I thought that you know, she was too good an individual just to let go by and be another statistic. So I thought about, well, what can I do positively? Because I'm a positive type of person. You know, what, what can I do to try and help other people not go through what Holly went through and also parents not go through what we go through on a daily basis? So I thought, well, if I can help prevent this happening to other individuals, that's what I should do. So that's the reason why I set up the Holly Guys Are Trust. And how our whole ethos is about trying to raise the awareness of you know, coercive control, stalking, uh, and domestic abuse, and how how we can educate young people in particular around those healthy relationships, because that's more often than not where it starts. And how can we prevent, you know, individuals not going through this horrendous crime that Holly, unfortunately, had to go through. So those are those are the things that we built the foundation of, of the trust. And we've developed that over the last six or seven years in a number of different areas. In in terms of the that awareness, I know you your your life has been affected by it. Um, before, do you think do you think that um, lack of awareness really contributed to um, uh, to to the understanding of what was happening? That that if they if the if you knew what you knew now type thing, do you think that is do you think that is part of that legacy around the making sure that the others um, uh, would maybe have the chance of knowing uh, what the signs meant? Oh, absolutely. One of the key things that I always say when I speak to people, whether that's in schools, colleges, universities, um, 
within businesses. You, you hit the nail on the head there, John, really. You know, I always say, if I knew then what I know now, I firmly believe that I could have saved Polly's life. And that, that's how powerful education and awareness is. Because when Holly was going through what, what she was being subjected to by her perpetrator, you know, he was very subtle. He was very clever, as often they are. And quite often, you know, the, the things that we didn't pick up on were very subtle. Uh, now, looking back after all the education that I've had over the last six years, I can see those types of things which were happening. And there were lots of them. Uh, and had I known then what I do know now, I would have certainly acted and reacted in a completely different way. And I think Holly was exactly the same. She didn't understand what was happening to her. She had no awareness or no education around abuse or stalking or coercive controlling behaviours. And therefore, she wouldn't have picked up on them either. And, and certainly through the conversations that I had with Holly, she didn't she didn't pick up on those. She didn't um, feel uncomfortable in the sense of, you know, she was going to lose her life. You know, yeah, she was going through a torrid time. But I don't think she really understood the gravity of what was happening and what the end product would would be uh, like. So I think, you know, in hindsight, having that awareness now, um, had I had it then, absolutely, I think I could have saved her life. Um, and, and as I said uh, before, I've had the benefit of hearing hearing you talk before. And uh, one of the most powerful parts is using that that hindsight for good. And um, I'm, I really like the, the work around raising awareness, uh, but also the positive relationships. Uh, and, and they are very much linked because um, a lot of what I've heard as commissioner from uh, victims and their families is there isn't one big incident. It is a long, sometimes can be quite a long process of, of very small, insignificant, explainable away. And uh, the being able to knit together those signs is, is part of that imperative to act or indeed to to intercede that and, and and I know you don't think it either but there's there's not always a chance of being able to intervene but the it increases the chances to be able to do um, successfully um you you talked a little bit uh, uh, Nick around uh, healthy relationships uh, as well so um, in terms of not only highlighting when it is, it is going wrong but also this, the the preventing before the the stopping the going down the particular rabbit hole the rabbit uh, warren of, of of the perpetrating um you aim your your work not just a potential victims but also the perpetrators as well it's about a wider understanding of of, of that behavior and what's and what's a you know a, a healthy relationship absolutely yeah we, we've we've developed a number of training workshops which i go into schools in particular and deliver uh, which are centered around um, what is um, respect uh, and what an individual um, should look out for and how they should be treated. And that goes for both perpetrators and for victims. You know, we, we never single out anyone. We don't just do training sessions for those that are victims. You know, we do the whole class and, and, we, and we, don't, we don't ask anyone whether they've been a victim or not. We just deliver what individuals should expect from a healthy relationship. They're talking about those positive uh, role modeling areas, talking about how respect should be um, given to an individual and, and what respect is. Um, because a lot, of, a lot of girls and boys don't understand what is respect. 
Um, so we talk about things like, you know, um, mobile phones, you know, how you use your mobile phone, or how, how an individual shouldn't go through your, your mobile phone and look at your own messages. You know, that that's your space. Um, and we get a lot of great feedback from individuals in schools around this type of workshop. And it is one that we get them involved in as well. You know, we get them to think about, you know, what they're doing in their own relationships, you know, and what healthy relationship looks like. So that's the start of all of this, you know. And, and for me, it's about um, going forwards, but using the looking back to actually shape the looking forward. Uh, and in schools, I think, you know, we can do that really well. Uh, and as I say, we've got some really good feedback from the schools. Uh, unfortunately, during the lockdown, we can't get in there at the moment. Uh, and we know schools contact that we had wanted to go in as soon as lockdown over to restart you know the next year's education program and, and for me that uh, that access to young people to be able to change their potential life choices and life chances is really really important uh, nick you touched on on one uh, element to, to do with um, uh, healthy relationships to do with mobile phones for example are there some other ones in the uh, in the training that you do with or the awareness that you do with young people that you would you would also highlight the things that you know maybe some of our listeners might either have uh, be a, a young person themselves or a uh, or a, a parent or a grandchild or, or a friend of somebody who's young what are what are some of the other key bits that you would say define that healthy healthy relationship i know you touched on respect and you touched on personal spaces like mobile phone phones what are the other things that you you normally draw out yeah, the, the, the big thing that we do around this is find it the best way for young people to uh, familiarise familiar themselves with this type of um, um, education is around looking at a friend. So we ask them, you know, have a look at your friend. Is your friend in a relationship which is healthy? You know, and can you see anything which is happening which would make you think twice as to whether that relationship is healthy? So we talk, we, we, we sort of touch on things like, you know, does your friend talk about some of the, the things that happens with their partner? For example, you might hear or witness something about them saying that um, they're being belittled by their partner, they're you know, making jokes about them, insulting them, criticizing them, making fun of them in a public environment. You know, we might think about your friend. Does your friend act as if they um, are still in, a, in a, an area whereby they're happy to go out socialising? Or are they withdrawn? You know, do they often make excuses for not being able to come out? You know, do they sit in class and they don't come to lunch with you because you know, they've got no money for lunch because perhaps their money has been taken away by their perpetrator? You know, do they mention the fact that you know, they have to get home at a certain time of night? because they have rules which the perpetrator has set down, which they must abide by. And they know that if they don't abide by those rules, something might happen to them. You know, is it about what they wear, about what makeup they can wear or not? Do they wear lots of makeup, perhaps to hide bruises that they had some physical issues with that perpetrator? So we talk about a wide sort of gambit of different things that they might see in their friends, but hoping that they self-reflect back on themselves in their own relationship. Some, some of the things that you, you talk about, I don't think um, uh, some of the general public would necessarily um, maybe back two eyelids out, but actually when they might look back and say, oh, actually, I get that. Do you, do you, think, do you think I'm right in terms of the general awareness around um, I think they get when somebody's got a black eye, there might be some abuse going on. But the other parts of 
of abuse and, uh, abuse and controlling behaviour. Do, do you think the awareness out there uh, in the public is, is, is as, as high as it high as it should be? Uh, to be truthful, John, John, I don't think it is. Um, and, you know, when we talk about coercive control and we talk about the behaviours around that, most people think around the physical, you know, the black eyes, the, you know, the, the broken arms, perhaps, you know. But people don't think about the psychological and emotional abuse that's going on with an individual because you cannot see that. But you might be able to hear it by someone saying something or you might be able to pick up on it because of the way a person acts but you've got to know what to look for in the first place similarly around financial abuse now um you know people having money taken away from them or not being allowed to do things you know their, their career aspirations you know education or going to work because they're not allowed to go to work to earn that money so there are certain things i think that the public are um either totally unaware of or wouldn't think about them as being controlling and part of an abusive relationship, you know, aside from that physical thing, which often they say domestic violence is, but we talk about domestic abuse. So all those other areas around coercive control. And, you know, we, we try and highlight those to particularly young people. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that we've developed over a period of time is a, a friend's and family guide which is on our website which you can download and that really is a guide for people if they think their friend relative labor neighbor or a colleague at work is in an abusive relationship and it talks about what you can look out for and what you can actually do to help them and support them in that in that respect because we're not always uh, uh, the british culture isn't always good at uh, intervening in other people's relationships are we in terms of uh, sticking our nose in is how my gran would uh, probably uh, describe it. But you, you touched on an, an interesting part for me around sometimes that hesitancy to intervene appropriately um, is, uh, is, 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 in, is increased by the not knowing what to do once you've intervened. And I think that very practical um, advice of what you can do. Um, and indeed, uh, in a healthy environment, I think most people are okay with being challenged, being asked, is, you know, are you all right type thing. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything uh, involved in that. And one of the things I'm very keen as, mess, uh, as, as, as commissioner to uh, promote is that we as a society uh, have a role in, in this. The eyes and the ears, um, often as the police of a whole range of things, but domestic abuse and uh, domestic, domestic violence uh, often happens in the very, very private spaces. So we are reliant on often uh, those families or those close to those people behind those closed doors to be some of those eyes and ears. And uh, I, I'm pleased, and um, we'll put the link under the podcast around uh, where people can access not only about your your uh, charity, but also the advice and the guidance that you've you've referred to. Because it, it might not be this year, it might not be uh, you know uh, next year, it, it might be tomorrow. But knowing what to do and uh, where to go, I think is often. Often the um, often the, uh, the, uh, the the thing that we need. Um, the thing I, I was just interested in, Nick, is um, is we are quite a virtual world at the moment. We're talking uh, across a virtual platform today, when perhaps we would have met normally. Um, it's going to change and has changed our our world. And uh, uh, I'm interested in your views around how um, the more socially isolated we are at the moment impacts on the subject that we're talking about. Um, it doesn't feel positive for me that uh, lockdowns, for example, uh, are, are a good thing for domestic abuse and uh, domestic violence. They, they feel like a bad thing that people's safe places 
uh, that they might have in their lives probably aren't available uh, at the moment. And I'm just interested in your charity's work, uh, how you've adapted during during this period. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting period. You know, a lot of abuse happens in the home, um, and quite often when a person is subject to abuse, their safe space is either when they go to work or when they get out of the, out of the home. So at the moment, they can't get out of that situation where they are being abused through their safe places. So I think you know the, the amount of abuse has gone up, and I think um, Women's Aid and Refuge and another number of other organization have confirmed that that's absolutely the case you know we 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 launch um our personal safety um upgrade in april just just as lockdown was hitting you know and that has a facility in there for an enhanced level of monitoring for individuals who are being subjected to abuse um and we've done quite a lot of work home office and got some funding from the home office and we are now able to issue to vulnerable people through a variety of police forces and your own is, is absolutely one of those that we're working with of Hollygard Extra uh, vouchers so that people can get 12 months um, enhanced level of support monitoring um, that hopefully would help keep them safe certainly during this lockdown period because I think it's it's a period whereby you know individuals cannot in certain circumstances, get away from their abusers. So we've got to try as much as possible to uh, provide them with um, more security, more safeguarding than we normally would. Uh, and our Hollygod Extra is is a way of doing that. And we're really pleased that the feedback that we've got from both forces, police forces, agencies, and clients who have taken it on board and, and have been uh, having the, the, the vouchers because you know, they're saying that it makes me feel a lot safer. I've got someone that is monitoring me that I know, uh, I trust, uh, and I can go to. So it really makes me feel a lot safer. So, you know, in terms of that lockdown process with technology, um, it's a hindrance in some ways, but we're trying to use it as a positive with Hollyguard in, in another way. It, um, it, it... And, and thankfully, society is hopefully moving away from the old traditional "why doesn't she just leave him" type attitude in this particular area of work. And 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 apps such as the one that you've referred to, I think, are part of the building blocks of either confidence, reassurance, um, uh, protection, feeling of safety that need to be provided around some people to be able to make um, uh, some choices to ask for help or or to be helped. And uh, I really liked that, uh, and I know a little bit about the app around um, uh, increasing that sense of, of, of security. And uh, and I really like the things that um, give people choices. The empowerment, I think, is a, is a really a really important one. And there are very some very horrible parts of uh, domestic abuse and coercive control, but one of them in terms of taking away people's um, uh, self-worth and indeed belief that things can change or get better um, and I really love that this is starting to build some of those blocks back and uh, and give people give people choices. Um, if Nick you were going to uh, leave some uh, leave some things in some of our listeners minds around your work uh, and your mission as a legacy uh, to Holly what would be some of those things that you would leave it in their minds how how they as uh, listeners can 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 help what action can they can they take i think think first of all um i think 
individuals need to get a better understanding of what um, coercive control is, because you, you mentioned earlier on that, um, you know, people are a little bit um, reluctant to perhaps intervene when they see something happening, when they're, un they're unsure of. Um, you know, we, we do a big program. It's a day-long program called Active Bystander Intervention, uh, which we 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 um, we developed with University of Exeter, and that's all about how you can intervene as a bystander. But the first and foremost thing you have to do is to intervene in a situation which is safe, both the the victim and safe for you as the person that's intervening. And you can only do that by understanding what's happening. So I think if people can get a better understanding of what coercive control is, how they can identify it, how can they can identify the subtleties of the various elements of coercive control, and how then they can intervene safely for both themselves and the victim. Uh, that's for me, the most important thing is safety, um, because we don't want people intervening if they're going to cause real problems for themselves or the victim. So education is of paramount to me, um, and then you can act. Um, and education equals empowerments. Uh, and once you have the education, you know, you mentioned right at the outset, a lot of these things are about patterns. Patterns are small things happening. And if you can understand those patterns and, and when they're going to happen and how to deal with them, you've got a better chance of helping that individual in a positive way. Because um, uh, for me, uh, as commissioner, I, I've, I've got a large geographic area and uh, I'm responsible for a huge amount of uh, public resource. And um, my commitment is always we will put the needs of um, uh, victims and survivors first, making sure um, that what is right for them is at the heart of our decision making. And um, I'm never going to give up on, on doing that. I'm also, uh, and uh, on the day that we've recorded this, we've heard that we've received some further perpetrator funding uh, around targeting high risk uh, perpetrators, because I uh, am very proud that we spent lots more money on supporting victims and survivors. But we also need to spend lots of uh, money uh, on the people that are causing the harm in the first place. And the preventative work that you've talked about with young people, uh, we need to redouble our efforts as a society and your contribution, Nick, is pretty humbling. Uh, the other is around um, our criminal justice system. Um, I believe in punishment for uh, people's acts, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, that rehabilitation to stop breaking some of these cycles, uh, absolutely, we need to redouble our efforts around and uh, and your story, Nick, and your uh, the passion and the and the ability to turn it into uh, to that positive legacy is is very humbling. And and uh, I, I do want to thank you for taking part today uh, in, in bringing that to to life. And uh, and at the moment when we are um, in the in the process of talking about white ribbons and why people wear white ribbons and what it really means to us as a society, uh, being able to bring that to life and showing what the impact of it is and uh, and how we can uh, stop those things being repeated in our society is a really powerful one. So a huge, great big thank you uh, for me for what you do and for the work that your organisation does as, as a legacy. And uh, for me, it's uh, it's really, really humbling, really humbling to hear. Thank you, John. Um, I, 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 I believe that, you know, we can make a difference, all of us. Um, and that's the reason why I do what I do. And I will carry on doing that to try and make sure that individuals are safe um, and free in their lives. Free. Uh, and for me, Nick, I, I think there's no greater 
uh, no greater sentiment to uh, to end on than the uh, that un, unrelenting belief that we can make that difference. We can um, change things, and, and your story, uh, I think, absolutely is, is testament uh, to that. Um, I'd like to thank you for joining me uh, today, and indeed, uh, thank you to to our listeners uh, for listening. Um, further details uh, around uh, not only uh, the, the the work that we've referred to, but also if you need help uh, around uh, domestic abuse or, or domestic violence, or you your loved one uh, you think it might be uh, suffering from it, uh, we will include those in the in the links below. And to reiterate the point that Nick made, never be afraid um, uh, that that we can't make a difference because absolutely um, uh, we can do. And it's only by our collective resolve um, that we, we will make that difference.